feels good to be a Lannister. Damn, it feels good to be a Lannister. A real high-class lord wears a lion crest. A real high-class lord making love to his twins. Real high-class lords choose incest. And nobles sometimes try and kill kids. All because a little boy was beaten. A real high-class lord swamp princess. Cause real high-class lords queen freaking. And everything's cool in Castle Rock where high-class nobles been born. I always pay my debts and I love my little brother cause some high class novels be deformed. And all I gotta say to you, I would leak, I would leak, super loving daughter, birthing challenges. When your gold runs out, what the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a Lannister. Damn, it feels good to be a Lannister. Sipping wine, reading books and betting viewers. I'm the end that leaves a window when I finish. With tricky tricks, I get my paper self Damn, it feels good to be a Lannister. Pissing off the wall down to the snow. Riding around seven kingdoms while escaping like a boss. But for me, that's my quick pro quo. Now, high class lords come in all shapes and sizes. Some got killed in the past. But this noble here is a smart one. Top it off, gone, refill my glass. And all I gotta say to you, outwardly, cowardly, super loving daughter birthing challengers. When your gold runs out, what the fuck are you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a Lancer. Talkcast 93, and it's Game of Thrones night here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Did I say Game of Throws? Oh, fuck. Wait a minute. I cannot believe... I have blown the opening every night for the past three casts. No, it works. It's the game of throwing small children off of a tower. Okay. <laughs> and I want to thank the group Less Talk More Monkey for that wonderful, wonderful opening tonight. Deep in Area 51, it's sub-level 9. I am King Robert Baraffian, father of many bastards, otherwise known as the Dome. Joining, you like that, don't you? That's a good one. <laughs> a fabulous one. Joining the talk cast tonight from the Austin Brighton Box Farm, it's the mother of all dragons, Priyana. Woohoo! And grammar assassin Zombrarian who sticks him with the pointy end. <laughs> Joining us tonight from the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, as Wild Eve Beauty Egret, it is the dead redhead. You know nothing, Dome. Oh, and by, and by the way, they tried to make me go to rehab, but I said, hell yeah, because I don't want to end up like Amy Winehouse. Dead? Yeah, that's kind of a painful subject. Ooh, from Outpost California in Indiana, playing Tyrion, our own dwarf who lives by his wits and not by his looks, it's awake by Java. I'm not much of a giant, except in the pants. 
I, I, I don't know if any of the rest of you picked up the new um, the new Game of Thrones book, Dance with Dragons. It's pretty awesome. It really is. And and at, at San Diego, uh, it was one of the biggest uh, uh, conferences, the biggest uh, panels in the in the entire thing. And it started right away. I, I heard that the line was like six thousand people long. It's ridiculous. Cannot believe that, especially especially when the Chuck panel was so well attended. In any case, joining us tonight, <laughs> joining us tonight is Ted Woods, who we met at Boston Comic Con. He's a self-published comic artist based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. His books include The Book of Love, Perilette Point to Guard, and The Life and Legacy of Marcus Aurelius. Ted, nice to meet you. How are you? Say what? How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Okay, Ted's never been on a podcast before, kids. I clearly just ru- like ruined it with the, your first question. So. <laughs> So we're going to pretend for all of you out there in the listening community that we know what we're doing just for the hell of it <laughs> because we haven't got a freaking clue. Tonight, Zombrarian wants to start off with a very special message. Zombrarian? We do have a very special announcement here at Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We would like to send out our congratulations to blog contributor Amanda Tron 3000 and her husband on their newest little cog, who is an adorable baby girl. And Yay! we're so happy for you. Congratulations. Yay! And, and I swore that, that Zombrarian called the cog Chia Pet, but I was wrong. You were totally wrong. I was I was wrong and Amanda Tron? Well what's wrong with me? Seriously, how long have you known me? Way too long. You know clearly what's wrong with me. But that's really not what we're talking about tonight. Another thing that uh I wanna uh just uh say to Dead Redhead and the powers that be that we're very, very happy to hear that our one of our big fans, uh uh Ellen is is doing much better. Miss Ellie, yes, Miss Ellie, Ellie is back from the hospital. Miss Ellie is back and doing well, and we're Thank all very, very, very happy to hear that. And mwah, hugs and kisses, we miss you not telling everybody the next day, you know what they said? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I, I understand that there's this little thing, uh, this, this little conference that's going on in, in California. Uh, Really, an insignificant thing. No one's paying attention. No one's one's paying the slightest bit of attention to it. I doubt anybody goes. (laughs) But, you know, one or two things kind of caught our interest, so we figured we'd pass them on to you, because you probably haven't heard about them yet. No, evidently not. Evidently not. It's it's something called the San Diego Comic-Con, and it kind of pisses me off that I'm not there, but since I'm not there, I'll get to talk about everybody who is there. Um... Fringe uh, had their uh, their panel this afternoon at uh, uh, seven o'clock our time, which was four o'clock uh, yeah. time. Clusterports. And uh, and the, uh, nobody cares. Moving the ch- Fringe. Nobody yeah. cares about Fringe. Java, do you care about Fringe? I care about Fringe, but I will. I, I didn't listen to any of the news that came out of it because I just don't want to know. I'm waiting. I, I will wait. I will save myself. 
Well, a really good thing came out of the Chuck panel. Oh God! Oh, are they canceling it? Watch that. It's, oh it's, my! It's in. It's it's. They they came out to bid farewell to its fifth and final season. Thank thank God. God. You know what? Well, That's wait. like three seasons too many. I I so, really am I am I the only person who's still watching that show? Hey, it could yeah. be worse. It could yes. have been a Smallville situation. The, so. the real problem <laughs> the real problem with Chuck was that they they just didn't know when to kill it, and then um, it continued to have viewers. That was the biggest problem because there's no reason to watch that show after the first two seasons. It was great. It was really smart and funny in the same way that that Big Bang Theory was. And then it just they ran out of things to write about because there that I mean there was nothing else to explore with those characters. So, well, there could have been, but they didn't think of them. Speaking of TV shows that at least we didn't get to see, apparently uh, Wonder Woman, from the people who did get to see the clips out in San Diego, they said it really did suck. (laughs) (laughs) And we should all be very glad, we should all be very glad that it didn't make it. I can't believe that. I was, I was, (laughs) I had picked that as a winner. Oh, so you're the one. Congratulations. <laughs> one, one, one show that looks like it actually is going to be a winner, uh, especially if you have a little bit of self-loathing in your, in your mind, is J.J. Abrams' new show, Alcatraz. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to hate yourself? Do you want to hate that you love a show? Uh, because that's what this show is for. Actually, the premise sounds really neat. It's about, um, I think, 307 uh, guards prisoners and, and other staff that just disappear from Alcatraz in 1963 and the events that follow up because of it um, and, and, oh. and what happened. So it's a, it's a neat premise and it's more, you know, um, crotch punching from J.J. Abrams. Yay. <laughs> so it's not quite like Oz. It's not quite like Oz. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so actually, if, if you're not masochistic, uh, another TV show that might have had potential but got killed was locking key. You know what? I, I'm okay with that though because I love the comic so much that yes. I, I really don't want them to mess with it. It it that that comic is actually written by Joe Hill, um, who right. is yes. Stephen Stephen King's son, and it's Hi, fantastic. Joe. Do do not don't be sad about the fact that it wasn't made into a television show. Just go read the comics; they're I fantastic. I can't imagine how they would have actually translated it into a television show successfully. Yeah. Especially the second uh, chapter, second part of the series, whatever you want to call it, Head Games. That would be very difficult to do. Yeah, and you know what worried me the most was the fact that, and I haven't seen the pilot, but um, in the interview, I think it was Joe Hill that says, it starts off looking like Stephen King's cinematography, and I just went, well, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. Stephen King film was actually good? Misery. Dead Zone. Dead Zone? That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a TV show, The right, Shining? Right? Oh, no, 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 the Dead Zone yeah, movie. Okay, the Shining. All I could think right. of was that one that's supposed to take place in, like, New Hampshire. Tommy oh, Knockers? No. That's that all I could think of. And I was like, oh, kill me now. Speaking speaking of uh, Stephen King, though, uh, Dark Tower has been dropped. Universal is refusing is going to refuse to produce it. They just don't want to waste... They don't want to uh, put the money out if it's not going to be a success. That was uh, Ron Howard's project of, of the dark tower hmm. and so they're not going to back it but they still might be able to find funding for it somewhere else can you imagine op directing that i mean yeah, doesn't yeah. that help slightly 
Yeah, well, Ron Howard's not that bad of a director. No, I know he isn't, but he's certainly not known for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if I can bring it back to New England for a moment, I'm just going to throw in there that Betty and Barney Hill actually got their own plaque in New Hampshire for their whole UFO experience that they had. Alleged UFO Alleged UFO experience. Alleged UFO experience. <laughs> I'm sure they believe that's what happened. We'll put it that way. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. And, but they got um, their I think we're going to put up a link. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig this up right now, actually. We actually have an interview with them up on the website. Well, with Betty, anyway. Yeah, with Betty Hill. It was, it was the actually the very last interview that Betty Hill ever did. Mm. Um, and uh, I was using, I'm using our handy-dandy search box. Which actually works on our website. On so actually, Saturday night .com. You, you know what? There, there was actually another person who was, who was abducted, actually, had an experience. And that was... Um, Allegedly guy, abducted. This guy who who you may have heard of, Ridley Scott. But the the problem was that he uh, came back, and now he says he's never going to make another movie without 3D. Well, they're not going to make Ridley Scott movies, and that's all there is to it. Because, uh, frankly, the whole 3D phenomenon is horribly overused. It I, reminds mean, I can't even call it a phenomenon when it was something that was shoved down consumers' throat by Hollywood and that nobody actually likes. Agreed. Agreed. I don't know anyone who would actually prefer to watch a movie in 3D. I get sick. I, yeah, I, get, I get migraines watching it. And, uh, and yep. I just, if, I, it means, if it means I stop going to movies, uh, well, then there'll be seven people in the theater instead of eight. Well, you know... I, I'm I'm hesitant to say that at this point because it's such a it's such a new technology and yes there are lots of problems with it and yes it is being forced and it, this is an active thing and it's not going to go away it is being forced down the, the throats of consumers because it's a, a, an effort by the film studios to to try to revitalize their industry and it's it, it might work by it might revitalize not. their industry you mean raise ticket prices. Yeah, that's one of it. Like double them. Sometimes yeah, exactly. It's just, a, it's just but, a piece of crap. But the the point is that that there is, from a cinematographer's perspective, there there's a reason for it. It does it, it has it has potential in the in the hands of a filmmaker. That it, it doesn't can have, it, have potential yes, in the hands of that, a filmmaker. That but doesn't when they do these crappy is, like conversions in post, that's not. That okay. doesn't mean that it's that doesn't mean that it's where it needs to be right now. But I'm just saying I'm going to give it I'm going to give it time. The technology, in order to make it better for consumers as an experience so that there aren't people who have headaches or whatever, is something that I'm sure millions and millions of dollars are being sunk, is being sunk into. Um, although, whether or not it'll make a difference at this point, because many, so many people have already decided that they don't like it anyway. Um, it's kind of like Betamax, you know, it, it might just have flown the coop. But the, well, Betamax was, was not anything having to do with a better format. Because yeah, Betamax was, was, was clearly the beta, better it format. It wasn't like people abandoned Betamax because it gave them headaches. It was just like, well... No, see, 3D, 3D, 3D film is the same as Blu-ray at this point. No, Blu-ray is just like Betamax. It's a standard. Anyway, yeah, I'm saying that the reason that people are abandoning 3D are profoundly different than the reason people abandoned like VHS because a better technology came along. It's different. What the difference between like 
VHS and DVD and Blu-ray. It's giving you the same content, just in a different updated format. The 3D technology is not giving you the same content. It's changing it. And, and not necessarily for the better. It's making it profoundly yeah, but In the hands watch. of a skilled cinematographer, it can add something to the movie. And I don't think that we've seen uh, a film that's really taken advantage of that yet, but that doesn't mean that we won't. True. Well, I think, I've, I think we've seen the proof of concept film, and that was the James Cameron film, Avatar. Avatar. Well, that was that was the proof of concept film, okay? That was the film that showed you there. Here's where the potential lies for this. Unfortunately, literally every film since then has used it simply as a device. That's right. Have you ever have you ever seen uh, uh, SCTV, the old SCTV? Yes, yes. And, and it no. was three uh, D House of Pancakes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Nobody else knows what you're talking about. Oh, yes, they do. There are a lot of people out there who know exactly what you're talking This is 3D House of Pancakes all over again. And it's just a horrifyingly bad idea. As but, opposed to the 3D House of Stewardesses, but that's a whole other story. That was a great idea, by the way. <laughs> I love 3D House of Stewardesses, but for very different reasons. Anyway, on to relevant things. Okay, uh, here's, here's something interestingly relevant. Uh, in the six years that uh, the reboot of Doctor Who has kind of grabbed our imagination, and it's been a wonderful wonderful ride for these past five seasons. Uh, the one thing that's always stuck out in everybody's mind is what happened to Chris Eccleston. And Christopher Eccleston played the very first season of the new Doctor Who. And he was good. He, he played was very good. brilliantly. Absolutely brilliantly. He's totally not the normal type of character that he does either. Right. No, not at all. And at the end of that season, left. And took the high road and always said that, you know, it was, I was only going to do it for one year. I didn't want to get typecast. I didn't want to stay in one genre and only be known for this. And finally, five years later, the truth comes out. He was taking a raft of shit from everybody else, from the entire production. Which sounds really interesting. I mean, he... In what he said, it's almost like he, they wanted him to change morals that he had or something. It was it was so profoundly opposed to what he wanted to do yes. that he knew. He's, he, he, this interview, you know, he, he blatantly comes out and says it. Unless you're willing to take a raft of shit for money, you don't do what they wanted you to do. Well, I would have taken the money and ran, but that's just me. <laughs> but Which I mean, is really weird because following on his heels, we have the um, oh god now I'm going to forget his name. David <laughs> Thank you, David Tennant, who was so amazing, so freaking amazing, so yep. amazing. And it's like, what what was the difference here? Is did he have to put up with something? I mean, he got an old Doctor Who's daughter out of the process, but uh, he. I think that what, what – and, and the, the interview is really interesting to read. Um, I, I think that what Eccleston was saying is just that he, he left the show because it wasn't, it wasn't the, the place where he wanted to be. 
and he didn't he didn't enjoy what he was doing on the production side of it. He enjoyed Which, okay. he enjoyed a, a lot of the the parts about the show, but he didn't enjoy a, a lot of the other parts. And that, so, were I mean, they telling I think him he really, had to do? Did he have to do cons? Was he going to have to give up? You know, so much time to say he was going to go out and do other things. I mean, it doesn't sound like they've attached. We don't quite know exactly what they were trying to attach to him that he was going to have to live yeah, with. Yeah, it's still not very clear. I don't know. Well, you know, it's his personal reasons. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I, and I mean, and in that interview, he also rules out that he's going to be making an appearance for the 50th anniversary special. Not going to happen. But you know who is going to make an appearance, probably, is Captain Jack. Yeah! yeah. No shit. That's going to be totally freaking awesome. He wants to be a part of it. They want him to be a part of it. And by the way, just when you think you know what's happening with the new Torchwood series, no, no, no spoilers, no spoilers, but just every time you think you know what's going to happen, where it's going to lead, what it's going to do, they kick you in the nuts and hang a left. It's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, I completely disagree. Oh. Well, you can talk about it next week when that's aired in the United States. So, and I guess neither side of the pond is going to get to see some special sex scene he was going to be doing. So. Evidently, no! Yeah, evidently not. It was totally, totally axed. Really? No, uh yeah. Not in the last one. Yes, it was. It was. It was significantly cut. Well, we can argue about this next week. Um. In other TV news, Futurama got renewed for two more seasons. Yes. So they're Fox. <laughs> they're not Fox. They're on Comedy Central. Exactly. So they're. Oh, so they're. Thank oh, you. Great. Sorry. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And also, apparently, Summer Glau is going to make a guest appearance on Alphas. Woohoo. I'm excited. I am super excited. You know, excited. honestly, I. I think that what Dome said about about Torchwood Miracle Day is exactly how I feel about Alphas because Alphas and I think there's only are there three episodes out? Or no, just two. Um, in those two episodes, they've they've set up a situation that has the potential to be fantastic. It's not. Um, it, it it's not Warehouse Thirteen, and it's not Eureka. It, and it's, it's something, not meant to be. I know. It's and it's something different, which is great because I was really afraid that it was just gonna be another uh, you know, one of those kind of campy, oh fun, you know, types of things with, with these strange characters, but it's not. It has the potential to be a little bit darker and a little bit more intense. No, it's definitely much less comedic and more of a drama. My um, only problem with it is that like Warehouse thirteen and like Eureka, it's already settling into a very procedural kind of a format and I'm really hoping they can break out of it because No, I don't want them so to. Dramatic. No, I really like the procedural I don't want them format. to. Too many shows nowadays try to try to break with format. I like I like the format of like the monster the of the week. Yes, and I'm totally we're gonna do. with you on that. You know what went downhill when they broke away from that? Supernatural. Yeah, it, it's just that too many shows are trying are trying to be edgy and and, and you know do something. It, no, I want I want a fantastic show with great characters, good writing, uh, good character development along the show, so I can follow along with that as a as a fan. But where I can watch an episode and none of my friends are getting bored because they don't have to know what's going on in the rest of the show to follow it. 
They can just yes, exactly. enjoy one episode. And you know, and, all three shows are like really different. So you've got your, on one hand, Eureka, which is like the silliest techno babble. Everyone gets into hilarity. Um, there's trouble everywhere. And at the end, everyone is happy and everything's back to normal. Fine. Some people like that. On the other hand, you have Red House 13, which Yay! is funny, but also brings in historical elements with the artifacts, and yes. at times does is more serious. People can be in actual danger. It might not be all right at the end of the episode. It's a little more serious, not totally serious, but Alpha's is more of an actual like drama where you're getting into serious character development, and yes, there are humorous moments with the cast, with interpersonal interactions, especially Gary, but um, it's not the focus of the show. You know what? I I feel like Alphas is kind of like a low budget Heroes. Yeah, I oh. agree with that. And and, I, and I'm just I'm just hoping I'm just hoping that it remains Series One of Heroes instead of Series Two. Well, let's put it this way: if they go into an entire season in feudal Japan, we know we're fucked. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I still think that British show <laughs> Misfits was the much better heroes. Oh, totally. Totally was. Absolutely. Still can't uh, get through an episode of that. Oh, I it's love it. It's just 280s. I can't do it. Wow. Speaking oh, of 80s, though, th there is a fantastic movie that I have to mention because Guillermo del Toro is going to do a movie called Pacific Rim, and it's going to have... Monsters. <laughs> it's going to have monsters and robots. Yeah. yeah. I'm sold. And it's still Toro. That's what I said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll see yeah, pretty and, much and, anything and, that man does. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. And monsters and robots, I'm sold. Oh, and you know what else I'm sold on? And, th and this might not, I don't, know, I don't know how everybody felt about the, the last Spider-Man movies, but the Spider-Man reboot. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, my God. Okay, so the last three Spider-Man movies weren't that good. Why do we need to reboot them? Well, because we've got a guy playing Spider-Man who understands Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Oh, do we really I, give I a rat's ass anymore? <laughs> yes. Because Andrew Garfield in, it opened up the Spider-Man panel this year at Comic-Con and with with a speech. And it didn't – it was not a canned speech. You could tell that he was talking about the thing, what he, how he felt about the project, and and it was fantastic. If you have a chance, go Google it because there are tons of videos out there of the speech. But basically, he says that he understands who Spider-Man is because when he was growing up reading those comics, that was his hero. He, he, he and and he says Spider-Man is a skinny kid who is trapped inside of his body and all of a sudden he, he has the ability to reach outside of his body with these powers he's been giving and given and he makes the choice to use them for good. And that's what Spider-Man is about, is about that choice and the desire that we might have inside ourselves to use those powers for good. Well, and whether well that's we promising can, though. Like, understanding does not equal portraying well. I, I'm, I'm... Or directing. God help us or directing. Yeah. It was the it was kind of the first piece of, of, of news or, or, or um stuff to come out of that production that, that made me interested in it. Because I felt the same way about it until I heard him talking about it. And you know, at least the main actor, the guy who's playing, you know, this this kind of pivotal character in comic book history, it 
understands it. You know, I don't think Tobey Maguire ever did because Tobey Maguire's movies were all, oh my god, now I'm ripped. I'm Chesty J. Isn't he like Elijah Wood's body double or something? <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. Um, so, you know, it, it just. It, I think it's. I think it's. Elijah. Like, <laughs> oh, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. Has anyone else seen the trailer for Dream House? No. I did, and it looks no. so creepy. Okay. 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 First of all, I'm gonna say. Before, before anyone watches it, they give away a huge plot twist in this trailer. So I'm hoping that means it's a minor plot twist, but it's like a huge plot twist. It's crazy in, in this trailer. In most movies, it would be a huge plot twist. Yeah, in most movies, they would not... You would suspect it, but they would not tell you until the middle of the movie. And then I would throw things at the it screen certainly it's so obvious. It wouldn't be in the trailer. So the fact that they put it in the trailer makes me have hope that something else is going to happen in this movie and they're creepy twin girls well creepy twin girls are always like you know w creepy w fun gonna be awesome um anyway the trailer looked interesting it's definitely a movie i would see on a rainy day when i had nothing else to do for the popcorn which is what we're gonna it's pretty much any movie actually so did anybody get to see captain america yet no. And by um, yet, I mean ever. Yeah, but that's okay because... Tomorrow, because it's supposed to be fantastic. We're going to go You know, check I've heard the same thing. I've heard that it's fantastic. I've seen... I, I actually finally saw a trailer um, in 3D on my 3DS. And, uh, and actually, you know what? Hey, there, there's... It's, it's Nazi kicking, yep. uh, you know, shield-throwing, face-punching yep. goodness. So I'm going to, you know... Grab some friends and we'll probably go see it sometime next week because I can't do any work next week. So it, it should be better than Thor. Oh, <laughs> yes. I like and actually Thor that's how good. that's how the trailer ended. It went boom. <laughs> <laughs> so so quick update before we move on to the second half here. I just want to mention. Remember a couple of episodes ago we had Ben Bova on and we opened up with Isaac Asimov's letter to the Troy Public Library. Yes, yes, I do. Well, remember. the Troy Public Library is in imminent danger of being shut down. Oh! So, if this is something that you care about, uh, the article will be linked to the, that Boing Boing posted up, and um, in it is contained Dr. Seuss's letter to the to the library. And you know, it's just so many awesome people wrote them a letter congratulating them when this library was open. I just think it's a shame. That it's even in danger of being shut down. But, like, it's really about to happen. I think it's a shame when any public library is in danger of being shut down, but... Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely biased. right. Yeah. Absolutely right. So, that's, quick that's, update on that, since we had mentioned it before. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because... And, uh, and I would talk about Tyra's new fantasy novel, but it's... Just Let's not. Oh my you god, know it's so ridiculous. It might actually be worth talking about. It's kind oh, of hilariously know. bad. It's apparently okay. a fantasy So is she. Tyra Banks? <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Remember, <laughs> the, remember the, the grief that I got from all of you when I started reading that limited series, uh, uh, Models Incorporated? Yes. 
Okay. If anybody reads Tyra Banks' fantasy <laughs> novel... Nobody's... The main character is named Tookie de la Creme. <laughs> okay. How about Schmucky in the Muck? And, and she got an exclusive invitation to Model Land. Oh, oh my God. God. And only, only seven extraordinary young women become what's called intoxibellas each year. Oh! Oh! oh. oh. I'm getting diabetes listening to this. We all are. <laughs> oh, and, and, they wear, and they wear golden eye feathers over their eyes that are called smizes. Oh my God. I want God. it to be made into a movie. I want it to be made into a movie so bad. Dear Tyra, you're starting to scare me. <laughs> starting? Starting to? <laughs> She scared me for a long time. I watched the soup. Yeah, but in a hilarious way. Not in an actually, I think you're mentally ill way. Really? <laughs> well, at least we can tell that she, it wasn't ghostwritten for her. Yeah, no, no one else could make that shit up. It's, it's, it's I, I swear to God, on, on the page when we put this up, I really just want to write, Tyra Banks is writing again. Please make her stop. <laughs> In fact, I think that's exactly what Tookie I'm going to put down. I like it. Oh my god. Well, guess what, like, guys? It's, it's actually 8.33. Oh my goodness. We still didn't get through all our news. <laughs> we never do. I know, we, did, we made a bigger dent than usual. We had a lot today. <laughs> yeah, you know why we made a big dent in it? Because we refused to talk about Comic-Con. <laughs> that's right. This is true. Have Although, actually, I will say that the lock and key toys, again, that they're selling there, I freaking want one. Oh my god, I want it so bad. She will kill for one. I will cut a bitch. <laughs> so, if any of our listeners really are at, at the con, please think about the points you will score with Kriana if you get her one. Or if you have a bitch that needs cutting. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. True. <laughs> Oh, God, somebody stop her now. There aren't even any on eBay. Damn it. Really? Just the stupid books. Who wants more books? Jeez. <laughs> All I have to say to that is... <laughs> and I'm done. What the hell was that? It was a Wookiee. Oh. It was... That was, was my chewy. It was your ass. That was my chewy. Okay. Very special chewy. Boring and horrid. Don't go beyond that because we're done. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Speaking we of books. Speaking of books? Speaking of books. I think we have somebody who'd like to talk to us. Oh, right. Or at least we invited them to. Do we have a guest? Do we have a guest? Ted? <laughs> Are you still with us? You're still here after all that crap? Jeez. I'm just wow. as surprised as you are, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good man, Ted. Most of the cast was at uh, Boston Comic Con. Actually, we all were, come to think of it. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, um, amongst all the writers and, and authors and artists, uh, we, we stumbled across this guy by the name of Ted Woods. Who's that guy. Self, this guy, the guy we have on. <laughs> hey, Ted, how are you? 
How's it going? Nice to meet you. <laughs> For the second time. You know that guy. Ted is a self-published comic artist. He lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's written uh, two, three, three graphic novels. <laughs> that, that, uh, let's just say comic books just so people don't think that I'm a widely published graphic novelist type person. Um, Affirmative. <laughs> I agree. So, um, yeah, I've, I've uh, created, so, meaning wrote, penciled, inked, lettered, the whole nine yards. I did it myself. Um, I did two of them, and they were very... All my books so far have been pretty limited release, but I'm getting wider audiences with every book. So um, the first two books were uh, The Life and Legacy of Marcus Aurelius. And the, well, was, no, that's actually that's the first book. And then the second book is Parallel Pont de Gare, which takes place in France. And then the third book I did was called The Book of Love. And... I think, that, yes, yes, I'm a romantic at heart, as you can clearly see. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so that one, I wrote and penciled it, and I had different artists uh, contribute their inking abilities for the different stories, because it's uh, three different stories. And the comic I'm working on now is um, The Book of Love, Volume 2, Um because I can't think of any new ideas. Um, <laughs> and you're honest. <laughs> yeah. So making me, therefore, perfect for the comic industry, I guess. <laughs> um, you could write but, movies. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll just remake something that came out in the 80s and... 80s? Your movies. You could do the oh, 90s. I was going to say, so you're going to be DC? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> Ted, can I hijack you for a second? Because this is something I've wanted to ask for a long time. What exactly do inkers do? That's a good question. They, and, they trace? Uh, no. Everyone's going to kill oh, me for saying that, right? Are you crazy? Yes. This is not chasing Amy. Hold on. <laughs> um, okay, so an anchor. Uh, well, let me start out. A penciler is a person that uses a pencil. And Got it. <laughs> okay, I follow you so far. Um, <laughs> the penciler draws out the, the page in a pencil um, and then scans that in and hands that off to the anchor. Or sometimes the penciler does it themselves. Um, and an anchor, uh, you, some people do it digitally, but other people use pens or brushes or quills. Um, old school style, and they basically—I mean, it's it's tracing in the fact that they're drawing the same thing. But think of it like, okay, you got a penciler who has um, their own style, then you have an inker who has their own personal artistic style as well. So if you have a penciler's style and you have inkers on top of it you ideally get a very unique looking image because you have two different artists style one overlaid the other. This sounds uh, like drawing that I could do. Um yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the really the really good guys are in high demand though. When you talk about somebody like a Kelly Jones or somebody like that who well, uses a um, different style. It's one one thing about it is 
some anchors, their style is a little bit more obvious than others, and they're um, like one person. One anchor that I always think of that kind of lets his style, you know, overlap a little bit too much is Kevin Nolan because he draws like, the same face on every male character ever. Oh, he's, he's gonna be mad because he's no, listening right now. That, you know, and no. the fact that he's listening to this um, interview is going expect to, never to work with him again. Uh, but anyway, what like? No matter who the penciler is, um, he seems to put his style over it and make the the page look like he did it himself completely, which I think is a bad thing. But so, hey, I mean, so a skilled inker like, kind of riffs on the penciler's style, yeah, yeah without uh, overpowering it. Uh, a skilled anchor lets the penciler's um, strengths shine through, but also improves on it as well. It's like the goal of every artist in a comic, I think, should be um, to take what they're given, you know, whether the penciler is given the script, the inker is given the pencils, the colorist is given the inks, you know, and um, every artist, every creator is supposed to look at what they're given and think, okay, how can I improve this? How can I make it better? And how can I add on, how can I add something to this? The idea is to make it good. Yes, yes. And yes, I understand. Unfortunately, you know, I don't think every artist, every comic creator has that mentality. Um, but, hey, you know, um, that's that's the entertainment biz for you. So, that actually I hope- sounds like fun. You know, I always see sort of like learn to draw crap, but I would really like to like have like a little workbook, like learn to ink. Um, there are. They there's do. A- they do? Uh, yeah. Okay, someone find me one on Amazon. I seriously want this. There's a, I think the the one that I kind of, you know, saw that I thought was kind of cool was, I think Claus Jansen did it, was the DC Comics Guide to Inking, which was pretty good. So, and, and um, he's another, he's another anchor that can definitely improve, you know, because he inked over Frank Miller's pencils and don't tell anyone I said this, but Frank Miller's a bad artist. Um, <laughs> um, so, oh, my. Yeah. Wow, I just spit all over my keyboard on that one. <laughs> oh, okay, I found that on Amazon. I'm taking a peek at it right now. It looks really yeah. cool, actually. Yeah, it's a good book. It's a good book. So. Ted, wouldn't you also say that Inker's kind of got started because when they were doing the Marvel process, if you will, that they had, you know, uh, Stanley just putting in dialogue, Jack Kirby just doing his pencils, and it was to also save some time for the creation of the comic, so it wouldn't take forever? Um, the Marvel method is definitely about, you know, that time-saving, economic, let's get this show on the road mentality. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not exactly the greatest comics historian ever, but I think Kirby did some of his own, ink. I, I think he did his own inking, um, but I could be very wrong about that, and I'm usually wrong about lots of things, so um, <laughs> seriously, don't take my word for it, but um, I mean, I would trust Wikipedia over me, but um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, there is a time-saving uh quality to having a separate anchor because it's just, you know, the more, you know, people working on a project, you know, the more stuff 
can theoretically get done, but uh, that's that's definitely not the the way it always works out. But yeah, there is there is definitely a time saving quality to it as well. That is really cool. So I've I've been wanting to ask that for seriously ever. <laughs> I know it's really interesting, and I I really like I do a lot of like calligraphy and things like that. So I'm really interested in the way like pens work and the way the different inks flow. It's very cool to me. So, There's um. I mean, with the the digital kind of revolution going on these days in the in the art world in general, um, but is especially in comics, um, there are digital anchors. I know um, I'm I'm such a hardcore traditional style artist in general that I mean I this is one of the few times that I've been on a computer for longer than ten minutes was you know listening to you guys so. Um, so yeah, like there are digital inkers as well that can you know use a tablet and just you know make it look amazing, but um, but yeah, I mean there's people that use different types of pens, different types of quills, different types of brushes. I, when I when I ink, I like to use brushes and quills personally, but that's just me. And you know some people think I'm a dinosaur for that, even though I'm like an, a really young guy. So yeah. Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah, interviews. Mean, there's a certain sort of feel that you can get with actual ink that you still cannot replicate on the computer. No, um, and that's that's completely true, I think. And um, it's it always kind of mystifies me when um, when a, a digital artist's goal is to make the their piece not look quote unquote digital, where they try to make it look real or they try to make it look hand drawn or something like that, and it always mystifies me because I'm like, so if you want to make it look hand drawn, then just, just hand freaking draw it, hand drawn. <laughs> you know, um, but I don't know. There's there's some people that can you know make that work and it does look legitimately you know hand drawn or hand painted. It's, and it's always like, oh wow, you did that on a computer. That's kind of cool. Um, well, you've, you, you've yeah. kind of got your extremes. You've got like a Brian Boland who apparently does absolutely everything on yeah. his tablet now, and then on the other extreme, I've talked to Charles Burns before, and I've interviewed Charles Burns, who has this mysterious process where he kind of does a, um, a woodblock method, where it takes him something like three days to do one page, so... Yeah, yeah, there's, um, there's, uh, there's actually a, another um, artist um, here in the Ann Arbor area, his name's Jeremy Bastian, and he's he did the book Cursed Pirate Girl. He's a really cool guy, and he uses um, his... I mean, if you look at his artwork, you're like, oh my god, this guy has got to be insane because it's all this like really fine line stuff, and he uses brushes that have like one or two hairs on them with how um, little lines he gets. And, he, I don't, and I think the entire thing is line work. There's no like spot black... Um, you know, perfect shadows are in it. Um, and, and yeah, there's actually in the European, uh, comics market, um, that something like that's a little bit more common just because they work on a different schedule and different timeline than, um, all us fast moving idiots in America do. So, um, well, that's so, yeah. a uh, Bernie Wrightson thing, right? Because yeah. uh, Bernie Wrightson yeah, will use like one or two little tiny hairs at one time. I mean, there, I mean, it's, there's there's different types for you know all different sorts of of artists out there and so there's always 
if if that's your kind of you know your flavor your thing for artwork there's there's definitely you know a market for it. there's definitely people that like that type of stuff i have tried getting really detailed but i just go insane and you know <laughs> more so than usual so um so yeah but um that's the lowdown on inking um i didn't think I'd be talking about that, but especially since I never really advertised myself as an anchor. <laughs> but, so, so, Ted, sorry, let's, super let's... random question. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> um, that's that was really cool. I'm kind of impressed with the fact that I was able to answer it. So. And, and so are we, actually. <laughs> so let's talk about the Book of Love because that was kind of a departure for you. Uh, the first uh, two comics that you wrote. You wrote, you did virtually everything on it? I did and, everything, yeah. yeah. And, um, and with the Book of Love, it was kind of a, a different... Yeah. You know, um, giving up a piece which of... Which actually is, you know, a little bit closer to what I want to do. Um, my, I'll always, you know, kind of um, ad, advertise myself as a penciler. Um, and that's, that's my main thing. That's what I've always loved to do. Just give me a pencil and paper and I'll be happy. Um... But I also like really like writing, and so those are my two main things that I um, can really kind of market myself as. Um, but if if you want to make a comic, you have to have more than just a writer and a penciler. Um, now I'm able to letter and ink and color, um, and I I enjoy lettering actually, which makes me like one of maybe five people on the planet Earth that like. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it's just, I was like, okay, I need to kind of assemble a team of operatives if I'm going to make my own comic here. And there's, you know, there's, you know, tens of thousands of different ways to get into the comics market. And the way that I'm, uh, choosing to go is the self-publishing route, obviously. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like I said earlier, um, getting, you know, more people to be on board for a project is a time saver. Yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to do for the Book of Love was make that kind of a it's a showcase for what I can do. But I was like, well, um, let me just kind of you know give make it a showcase for other people because I know various people that want to you know be anchors, um, and I know people that want to be colorists or something. Let me you know assemble some people together and let's make a comic together. And so the Book of Love. Um, which is now in its second print. Um, I've got those that are going to premiere at Wizard World Chicago um, in a couple of weeks. And that one is, it's got three short stories in it. And I, did I, did you guys get a copy? Uh, did Because um, I had it with me at Boston Comic Con, but it sold out. So I don't know if I ever, I don't if think you guys we ever did got get a copy, copy unless you did, Dome. No, I didn't. I wanted one. And by the time I got there, you were sold out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I can maybe give you guys a copy or something like that. But anyway, so Please the story on Book of Love um, is uh, one of – there's three short stories. One of them is a um, – crap, what did my, I make my comic book about? <laughs> 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 um, okay. Oh. I got it right now. Okay. So the first one is a fantasy. The second one is an autobiography type thing. The third one – is this literary adaptation. And one of my big things is I love all the different uh, genres that 
you know you can do with comics. Like I love superheroes, but hey, you know I love P two, but much to my dismay, I can't eat pizza every day. Um, so, um, but anyway, so the I, I just love all the different types of genres you can get with comics and all the different styles out there. So I was like, well, let me you know write and pencil three different types and you know get three different anchors for them. So. Um, the fantasy stories about this knight fighting a dragon, saving a princess. The autobiography one is about when I was in college and I learned how to dance to impress a girl. Um, and then, the, <laughs> yeah, and, and it worked. Um, but Yay. Uh, yeah, woohoo. Um, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun too. So the and the third one is an adaptation of this 14th century Irish ballad. Um, so if there's anything in this in this comic, it's variety. Um, Wait, which ballad? Um, the Unquiet Grave. Oh, and cool. It's been uh, done and redone over the many centuries, um, and so it was kind of fun to kind of make my own adaptation of it and kind of cut and paste different versions of it. Um, now, that comic was obviously, you know, pretty success successful since I sold out of it, so I was like, well, you know, now that it's 2011, maybe I should make a new comic. And so I'm making the Book of Love Volume 2, which I've got, you know, new anchors. And um, actually, I'm going to be – um, I got some more friends of mine to help me out with it. They're doing some supplemental art, which is completely their own. And they're going to be doing, like, these one-page uh, stories, you know, that are just – that is just kind of a supplemental in between the store, the actual comics are. Feel, feel like name dropping? Got anyone really awesome? Oh, do I have anyone really awesome? Um, well, They're there's all ma- really awesome. That's um, the name right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the people that are on board so far are. Uh, Jennifer Brownstein. Um, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing their, their names right. Um, I'm just a bad friend, so because uh, <laughs> these are all people that I've I've known um, for a couple of years. Um, most of them are at least. Um, so Jennifer Brownstein, and then Cameron Nordsteck, and then also um, Melissa Kelly. And I can send you guys some links to their like. Um, their websites as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, That'd be great. And then there's the the story that I'm working on right now is um, a story about a werewolf and a witch in the Middle Ages Woo! in England. So, and a really cool anchor is uh, Paul London. And I met, I actually, I met him through DeviantArt. So, um, and he's, he's inking it right now and if he's doing his job, he's inking it right now as we speak. So sorry, sorry I called you a tracer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, he'll kill you for it. I'm, I'm oh, sure. Oh, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> and then also helping me out is uh, Angela Falvey, who worked on the original Book of Love, and also Lauren Affey, who um, was the colorist for the first issue as well. So um, lots of people. Um, it's gonna be. A, Really great time uh, working with everybody on this book. So, um, and it's due out in September. And um, lastly, because I know we're uh, running out of time, obviously, I think time is relative. It's a podcast. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, but I want to make before I forget, I want to make sure I talk about um, an actual science fiction thing that would pertain to you guys. Um, so Ooh, go for it. Um, I just recently did a sci-fi comic for the uh, comic company. It's an indie company. I think they're out in New England. Um, reasonably priced comics. Um, and they did an anthology called Science with an exclamation Woo, point. Woo, I like science. And it, the premise of this book is that it's, um, it's an anthology, so there's like you know half a dozen stories in it, but each story pertains to the idea of, okay, humanity is trying to progress in some way, but then something goes wrong. And so the way I took that premise was you've got two astronauts on Saturn's moon Titan, which if you follow your, you know, NASA news feed is, you know, maybe the place where there might be life someday. Um, but anyway, um, I like NASA, by the way. <laughs> you won't get any argument here about that. What, what self-respecting so. geek doesn't like NASA? That's right. Um, so anyway, these two astronauts, they're on Titan, and they're going to be trying to start this new you know, prototype new earth with their kind of lab. But then, um, the problem is, is that they, the two of them have been on this science lab station for a year and they've got another year to go. And it's a man and woman, Adam and Evelyn, and they are fed uh. up with each other and they clearly have issues because the entire space station is divided by duct tape. And <laughs> they, Every time they just start talking to each other, I mean, they're just on edge. And so something is bound to go wrong with the two of them always yelling at each other. Let so. me guess. Hallucinogenic fruit? Oh, you... <laughs> man, now they won't buy the comic. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave away the ending. Damn it. Nice. Yeah, you and your spoilers. I know. But I didn't get a copy. Well, the copies aren't even available yet. So. See, I'm just psychic. Yeah, that's <laughs> just amazing. So anyway, so for people that you know just now tuned in and didn't find out what the ending was, um, which, by the way, is not hallucinogenic. <laughs> that that <laughs> negative one person that just tuned in. <laughs> yeah, yes. So um, that's going to be available August 24th, I think. I probably should have been more prepared because um, yeah. I, I feel like all the an my answers for you are like, you know, coming off the top of my head. Um, that's but, like everything that we do. So that's true. So yeah, I fit right. Wait a minute. You, you sat and you listened to us plan this out, right? <laughs> like, maybe we'll talk about this. Plan? Right. We planned? Oh, yeah, I think dude. I even asked you, do you guys even know what you're doing here? You're like, no, no, we just kind of make this up as we go. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Hey, this is episode 93. We must be doing something. Oh, wait, we don't. We can't get canceled, can we? <laughs> no, well, no, the only time we could have gotten canceled, we actually did. <laughs> oh, right. And damn them all to hell, whatever the hell they were. Who were they? Oh, yes, Clear Channel. They can go suck a woman. Anyway. Yes, anyway. They can so, so Ted, what yeah. I wanted to know was if the first issue of Book of Love sold very well, went into a second printing, you're doing a second issue of it, are you thinking maybe if the second issue does as well that this is something you're going to keep, like, working on? Um, 
I'm glad you asked me that because I thought of that the other day. <laughs> um, no, I'm kind of glad you did because, I mean, you know, I really wanted a, uh, uh, a copy of the first one and didn't get one. And now I'm going to really want a copy of the second one. But, you know, because I just think it's a really kind of cool idea that, you know, doesn't get done all that much. Yeah, I that was one thing that I, I initially when I um, when I first did the Book of Love, the just the first issue, um, it was done completely on the fly, and um, I had signed myself up for a convention in Detroit, and it was my first convention as Detroit Fanfare, and um, and it was the show's first year, in fact, and so I was like, great, I've, I've signed myself up for a convention locally here, I just moved to, to Michigan, and I was like, okay, this is really great. Crap, I don't have anything to sell. Um, <laughs> I should make a comic. Um Crap, what do I and so I had a few scripts lying around of you know short stories. I was like, well I can you know put these together and make a you know like an anthology type thing, only I'm the only contributor. You know, and I was like, wait, I can I can you know use my networking skills and you know get other people to do my slave labor for me. There you go. I started, you know, putting this uh, this book together that had the three short stories and and I about a Week before I was ready to send it to the printers, so about three weeks after I thought that it would be finished, um, I was like, "Crap! I don't have a cover and I don't have a title for this book either." <laughs> so um, I was I was working. At, I was a dishwasher at the time, um, and I on my lunch break I um, stole a notepad from the office and uh, grabbed a pen. And started making sketches while I was taking my really quick lunch break because they were slave drivers at this place. Um, and so I was like, crap, um, an idea for a title. I was like, well, the three stories that kind of relatively remotely relate to the issue of love, which, I mean, what story doesn't? So I was like, um, how about the book of love? Yeah, okay, cool. And, you know, thought of a, a cover, you know, idea pretty, pretty on the fly. And so... I, you, know, you know, this on-the-fly thing is not working for you. You could have made up a much better story with a little preparation. You know, um, my my business plan, my business model um, for, you know, my entire comics career has been make it up as you go. Um, <laughs> and it has brought me close to death, but I've not died yet. Oh, okay, so, well, that's good, I, I guess. I must be doing something right. Um, but... Anyway, so um, since then, I was like, wow, that, you know, surprisingly worked. You know, I, I sold books um, and people liked it. And I, I think it, it is kind of an original idea of doing a book that's, you know, filled with different little stories of different genres showcasing, you know, different, different artists. And, um, and so I, um, I was like, well, let me do it again. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I could kind of, you know keep doing this for a while and then, you know, have like a, you know, collect all of them into one, you know, trade paperback or something someday. So that's kind of the plan tentatively to, uh, to answer your question, Dome. Um, it's, yeah, I would like to keep doing it, but while my goal is to, you know, be a, you know, regular mainstream artist, I'm like, I really enjoy doing this self publishing stuff, even though it is, a very you know difficult work workload because it is writing and drawing and editing and you know getting 
talking to the printers and talking to, you know, people about sales and stuff. Like, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm wearing like five different, you know, jobs for this, this, uh, book, but I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. So might as well keep doing it is, you know, unless it starts killing me, which, you know, who knows it might. So, um, then I'll die happy, I think. So, (laughs) um, and that's the goal of every comic artist, I think. To die happy? It's <laughs> <laughs> not rich. In true Klingon fashion, so. Um, it is a good day to do a comic. There Absolutely. It is. No, I've been watching. I just recently discovered that Star Trek The Next Generation is on Watch Instantly on Netflix. So, Yeah, that uh, just I happened am, just I am recently. four episodes from the end of the seventh season. Oh, we man. You're far right. I'm, I'm a, I just started season six today. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So and then once I finish up season one. Next Generation, I'm watching DS9 for the first time. So, Oh, you're going to love Space Nine. It's my... Of all the series, it's probably my favorite. I, oh. Also, I'm, so is Jed Zia, actually. Woohoo. <laughs> you watch it just for her. <laughs> no, I, lo- I watch it for the holodeck, which to me was one of the greatest inventions in the Star Trek universe. Just took them anywhere. And in Deep Space Nine, there's this wonderful uh, uh, 1970s Las Vegas. Uh, holodeck program, and uh, I can't think of the uh, sing- lounge singer who's in there, and it's just, just the best. And I, I, I adore that show because it's, it's just this static moment in time. The <laughs> entire Don't getting a little misty here. Yes, I am. Yep, Thank yep, you. So much. Yep. <sighs> but you I know what? The say- thing that got me excited for the show was, I mean, other than I, I had a few people that were like, "Ted, you really, really got to watch DS 9 Was I was I was looking around on the Star Trek wiki site? It's called like Memory Alpha or something like that. Yep. And um, I I've been look. I just watched a Next Generation episode that had Loxana Troy. Um, who's always like flirting with a different character every time she's a guest star? Oh, yeah, generation, and she's just a. She reminds me of my grandmother. Um, <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not an awesome thing to say. <laughs> anyway, so she, um, she's just a, a great character, and I was looking at her little page, and I noticed that there's an episode of DS9 where she's interested in Odo, and I'm like, I am freaking sold on this. <laughs> So, um, I'm excited for this series. I'm really looking, and even though it came out like what 20 years ago, I'm like, yeah, now that's all right. Good stuff is good stuff, and the great stuff is ageless. Yes, that's all there is to it. And you know what it says, man? It's the clock on the wall saying we've been at this for over an hour already. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it's It's been an incredible hour. Went by fast. And I guess I will be doing the new calendar. (laughs) Okay, I suck at it. it. (laughs) All right, we have on July 30th, we get Super Locked Up with filmmaker Jeff Burns and his crew. We're not going to do that one anymore. Okay, guys. No, no, we're we're doing that, but we're not going to get super knocked up. Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to uh, to August sixth then. And August sixth, we're going to have a night off very quickly. Just mentioning it. On August thirteenth, 
we're actually going to have a second attempt at trying to get Hey Nani Nani with the group Kill Shakespeare. And after that, on August 20th, we're looking at doing uh, talking to Everett Soares as they take us on a grand adventure with the Sky Pirates of Valendor. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. They will appreciate that you did that so much better than I did. My God. Please visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Zanoise, and please pick up their CD on Benevolent on uh, the Benevolent Beast on iTunes. Dome. Oh man, it's been it's so good to have you back, Redhead. You have no idea. <laughs> Thank We've you. Missed you. We've missed you. Oh, gosh. I want to thank Ted for joining us tonight, Ted Woods. Uh, we're going to have links to his website, links to his art collection. And when this new uh, anthology comes together, we'd like to have you back, Ted. Sounds good to me. All righty. From the Alston Brighton Box Farm, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and Grammar Girl Zombrarian. Thank you both, ladies. <laughs> From the full color vault of comics, thank you, Dead Redhead. We've missed you. Big hugs and kisses to everyone. From Outpost Gallifrey in Indiana, thank you, Java. Thanks for being awake for an entire show. As impossible as it seems, there was once a time when I was unaccustomed to wine. <laughs> okay. And this is Dome saying, Genie shared pain is lessened. Shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Zombie Jesus! <laughs>